0: welcome to the two stewards show is history linear or is it cyclical is mankind actually getting better or is it just more of the same to illustrate a great example of linear history if you actually go back and listen to our first podcast episodes and we encourage you to do so and then you listen to our later episodes you will find linear history at its finest This podcast is a splendid example of continual progression toward a perfect utopia of listening pleasure. Okay, there might be an argument for the cyclical camp, but this time it's a chat about macro, cycles, trends, what is happening behind the curtain. Real estate has proven to be a time-tested asset class, but will it continue to be? There are so many things to consider and stewarding our wealth wisely requires proper consideration of all these factors and more. Mark and I are both in the real estate space doing our best in our own ways to help folks navigate these factors wisely. Mark can help you set up and manage super successful short and midterm rental properties. You can get in contact with him at Joy Hill Property Management, joyhill.ca, Brent, myself, at Good Stewards. Our services help you source the right investment property, develop quality rental units and secure amazing tenants. Learn more at goodstewards.ca. If there is a guest you think we should have on the show, message us at hello at two stewards.ca. And now let's get into macro.
1: Hello folks, and welcome back to the Two Stewards show. I'm here with Brent. Hello folks. And my name's Mark. And today we want to talk a little bit more about macro, macro. macroeconomics and macro analysis. And, um... It's a bit of a I don't know esoteric uh, topic for many, I would suppose. Um, that's a big word, Mark. Yeah, yeah, it's just a little bit weird and exotic. How about that?
0: Ab- abstruse.
1: Uh, uh, obtuse? Abstruse. Abstruse. Yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a strange word. But um, yeah, we want to talk a little bit about macro, and the we did last episode as well, and we want to zoom out even further uh, this episode. To just identify things that affect real estate. So this is a real estate podcast, um, Christian real estate podcast, and I have found that you know when I'm looking at real estate and thinking like what makes this a good investment, um, you know you get some answers, and we've talked about some of those on a more where, specific where, level. Where
0: do you get these answers, Mark?
1: Well, you do some research. You look on the old internet, I suppose right but if you want to you know like why is real estate a good investment well a simple a- answer that people will give you is that prices keep going up over the long term okay you could just take that at face value and and leave it alone but i want to know why because if they're going up are they going to keep going up yeah and what causes that? So we talked about some of the sort of local things, like maybe on a city level, a provincial and a even federal level. We talked about, you know, population trends, immigration, interest rates, that kind of thing. But there's other things that can affect it as well. So you just keep even zooming there. out. Yeah. If you ask like, why? Like, why does that happen? Why is there more immigration into Canada? Well, then you <laughs> need to zoom out and look sort of at a global picture, right? Right. Yeah. and that's what really good macro and we
0: failed to do that last time in the last episode
1: well we just we didn't, <laughs> we didn't have time right <laughs> we're a little bit limited so um, I think we really kind of hit Canada um, Canadian macro if you want to call it that but I want to zoom out a little bit more and just give give some framework to our ideas here and like not necessarily all the trends that are happening that are really important but what what are the trends to look for? Yeah. What are the things that we look at? And I just want to give a tip to anybody who's listening to this podcast
0: that uh, I found when I listen to our podcast, you got to listen at like one and a quarter times speed, one and a half times speed. <laughs> and we sound so much smarter. Oh, really? Interesting. <laughs> Sounds what like you know mean, Brent. Really fast. Um, but yeah, just, just a little tip. So okay. Let's jump into this.
1: I'm not sure what you're talking about. That reminds me of the uh, the fellow I met down south. Oh, boy. Who? Uh, well, I told him I was a podcaster, and uh, he, he said, well, "Whoa! Would you know that? I come from a long generation, a long line of podcasters. My pappy was a podcaster, my grandpappy, and his pappy before him." And I said, "Really? I didn't know they even did podcasts." Like you're talking, you know. Uh, you know, early, uh, early 50s. years of the century and, um, said, well, no, what I do, I wake up early in the morning, I get these here bean pods and I cast them out to my swine and, uh, and they love it. And we've been growing pigs for years and years. And I said, well, I think we got a different kind of podcasting here, but, uh, nice to meet you, Cletus. Oh man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a Mark that's, original.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's uh, yeah, that's a work in progress. Oh. <laughs> uh. But uh, anyhow, anyhow, getting back to uh, getting back to macro. So, what are some of the things that we look at for um, when we're talking about uh, talking about macro? Uh, really, you zoom out um, geographically. Yeah. So we want to look at the world as it stands now, and what are the trends that influence us? And then also chronologically. And you people sometimes forget that. Yeah, we're talking about time here, son. Okay, um, but. <laughs> You You are old
0: enough to be my father,
1: so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, we can look at, uh, you have to look at cycles and like trends. Once you look at trends, you tend to identify cycles. And so, you know, it's hard to maybe tie this into a Christian perspective, or maybe it's not, um, because there's a couple different views of history, right? One is sort of that linear view um, where mankind has you know, ascended from the primordial ooze and from a single cell bacteria to increasingly um, sophisticated forms of life. an evolutionary perspective. Yeah, an evolutionary perspective, which is generally accepted um, and fits in very well with the linear perspective, right? We're constantly ascending. We're constantly rising and getting better to a better and better incarnation of mankind. And, um, you know, eventually we can sort of reach that utopia. And so this, I, I would contend that this is probably like the basis for some uh, schools of thought like communism. Yeah. Because the whole idea with communism is that you can reach this utopia, this perfect society where we're all in balance. And even, even with sort of the current climate religion and things that people are talking about, like worship of, yeah. of, of nature, we can live in, in perfect union with nature or with each other, depending on your, the flavor of your, uh, what you're thinking about. Yeah. But that's the idea that we can constantly get better and with the right policies and and the right beliefs, we'll get into that space. Yeah. And so eventually the reason, that's what we're reaching for.
0: Like, and according to that kind of worldview, the reason that things are bad or things happen that are not, um, you know, getting us to this better point is because maybe the policy doesn't yeah, doesn't work. Bad policy. We can try something else. We
1: tried a different policy. Yeah. Um, whereas probably a more, um, I would say, a more Christian way to look at it is as cyclical, and you know Christians aren't the only ones who look at history in a cyclical uh, fashion. I, I think I've talked previously about the book "The Fourth Turning," which wasn't um, necessarily a, a Christian. Uh, perspective but they analyzed western history and found that there were cycles roughly spaced out generationally so every 80 to 100 years you would have a new cycle and then within that there's subsets of roughly 20-30 years which corresponds to like each new generation so we look at it sociologically you've got like the boomers uh, millennials gen z whatever the (laughs) the next generation is and that um,
0: cyclical worldview is kind of one that is just repetitive, right? This happened, but if you look back through history, that same sort of thing happened years ago um, yeah. in a different era and different context. And this was the result. And then, uh, you know, we went through another period of time and it, you know, happened yeah. again. And yeah. here we are. Yeah. So you kind of, if, if you're a linear mindset of history, you might look at those incidents differently, or I don't know how you would interpret that, but.
1: Um, yeah, it's, there's definitely a different interpretation of these things. And so if you look at, for example, uh, if you have a young earth viewpoint, um, so the earth is, you know, let's say six, eight, 10,000 years old, um, you can say we have all of recorded history. So we've got the first part in the Bible, right? So, um, aside from everything else the Bible provides us, it's an actual historical record. Yeah. And we can look at trends of we don't have everybody on the earth, but we look at trends and cycles of human behavior. And then you know, from the time that um, the the New Testament leaves off, we start to have recorded history, even a little bit before that, right? Just around the time of Christ, you got Herodotus was sort of the first um, historian, the first. I never realized this, but what, he was really era the first was he guy. From?
0: Because I'm not familiar.
1: Well, Google it. I guess before my time, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, right around the time of, um, like... Mark. (laughs) No, right around the time of Jesus. Okay. Um, I mean, I may be off by 100 years, but um, (laughs) he was sort of the first historian.
0: 484.
1: 484? Yeah. Okay, I'm a a little bit off. Maybe I spelt it wrong, but... (laughs) Um, But he was the first (laughs) professional historian... Right. ...who actually recorded history for history's sake... So, you do have earlier transcripts, and he references yeah. a lot of those, um, but essentially you 've got sort of a record of history that way, right yeah, of what we know uh, for human history and in there, you can identify cycles if you look at the Old Testament, you see this constant cycle of um, of you know first there was just um, you know smaller groups of people, and then the nation of Israel, and how they would follow that cycle of um, they would be worshiping God, fall, and into um, you know idol worship. Yeah. Other things. There would be chaos. And there the would situation be wars. repeats itself. And then there would be rebirth, a revival, and then just carry on. And uh, but if
0: you look at um, if you look at history though, yep. And maybe here's a question for you because if you have a linear mindset of history, I think you could justify that by saying. Well, doesn't technology continue to advance? Because like once you know a certain technology, like you're not really prone to forget it, right? So once a society figures out the wheel. Yeah. Then every society around the world all of a sudden figures out the wheel and you have cars and you don't go back from there. Yeah,
1: and that's that's like a convincing argument for linear history. Yeah. Technology. So I am I'm always curious as to what technology they had before the flood. Right. And how much of that was lost? Well, because we always find like these weird things <laughs> that like... No wow, this posted a tweet of it. Uh... <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Almost done, guys. <laughs> um, no, but like we really don't know because we don't have all that detail. We just assume you got this linear thing where they maybe they had the wheel, but like maybe they had um, much more advanced society. Like we don't yeah. know. Yeah. Because it's... We're talking thousands of years, yeah, like anyways that's a little bit off the uh, off the point, um, so you would think though, okay, so technology keeps getting better, mostly that technology uh, starts off with how to kill people better, <laughs> right, and then we find other uses for it, yeah, right, so then you could say okay we 're getting better, are we really getting better we 're finding better and better ways to kill each other and um, you know, to a certain extent to to damage the earth, Yeah. right? I'm not all in on the, the, the whole climate thing, but, um, the, you know, definitely pollution. Warfare. Thing. Yeah, warfare, destruction, destruction. Yeah. all this stuff. <laughs> we find better and better ways to do that and to be cruel to our fellow man. Um, yeah. So, yeah, tech- <laughs> technology is better, but is it really? Like, are, where are we better off? So... Um, you can look at something like Ecclesiastes, and yeah, there is nothing new under the sun. There are certain specific things that are new, like you know tesla 's are new yeah, <laughs> relatively <laughs> right um, david wasn 't driving around in tesla he had a he had a chariot right, powered yeah. by horses, so yeah that 's new, but really the the nature of man um, is not new and has not gotten any better, and that 's another Great reason, like when you're reading your Bible, right some people are like, "Oh, it's gory, it's this, it's that, but like the the depths of cruelty and depravity of mankind um, they haven't changed. yeah, it's been like that from the beginning, and we're still the same now.
0: yeah, so while techn- technology may um, advance year over year, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that people's um, morality improves. At the same yeah. rate, exponentially, we're getting better. The the people. state
1: of mankind yeah. is it improving? Yeah, and I guess the fear as well with um, with a linear view of history is that you know it's going up and up and up, but it could also go straight down off a cliff, right? And that's been always the f- you know there's always these fears about. We talked about peak oil last time. Um, you talk about nuclear apocalypse, right? That's the thing. Um, people are always worried about the apocalypse, Armageddon, right? Zombies.
0: (coughs) And peak oil is just for people who didn't catch the last episode. Um, It's
1: where you have a little bit of oil and you just peek in on it. (laughs) A little baby oil sleeping and uh, you just take a peek. uh, (laughs) No, the the theory that um, not just oil but other commodities on this earth are finite, which in the grand scheme they are, but not anytime soon. But that they're finite, we're going to run out and um, everything's going to going to
0: end whereas the actual limitation to resources is more how much human time can we expend in getting them yeah exactly
1: but that's the sort of the impetus for when you have this linear view of history you have to always stop falling off the cliff there's always an emergency around the corner you have to avoid that in order to continue this upward progress guys if we want to get better we can't crash (laughs) well yeah but if you you don't do this thing we're going to fall off the cliff that linear progress will stop
0: Which which just when I think about economics, um, a cyclical view would be more one of boom and bust cycles, right? You have like a a natural kind of, you know, there's a bit of consumption and uh, prices go up and then all of a sudden things happen to go down and then you get this kind of cycle. But how does Um, that work in a linear I don't
1: know if I necessarily agree with that. Yeah. Um, Like, I understand your point. But the whole boom and bust thing is mainly, mainly due to our monetary system because of inflation, which you have inflation, deflation, (coughs) inflation, deflation, or less inflation. And that's the boom and bust. There have been sort of booms, like periods of more economic growth and less before our current monetary regime, but nowhere near as pronounced as what we have now. So
0: that's what I was just thinking. So maybe we do agree because if you have... I disagree. Uh, I guess boom and bust is maybe the dramatic way of saying it. You have economic cycles, right? Yep. So you'd have a growth period and maybe like a contraction. And under a standard where they have a gold back currency, those would be moderate. But I think what you're getting at, and maybe we can argue about this. Yeah. i like to have an argument. Um, is that on a fiat standard, those cycles are exaggerated because... They're influenced by and kind of, they, you know, the government wants growth. So then they try and yep. stimulate it. So that makes the growth cycle that would have naturally happened go a lot quicker. And then they don't want bust. So they kind of fake it and hide it and do what they can to stifle it and then keeps artificially growing and making the problem even worse. And then eventually you have this really volatile correction. Yeah. Um, and that's where like the linear view, maybe if you have a linear view, worldview, you're kind of like, I want to just stop any kind of downturn in the economy. So what can we do in our control to stop that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Know, and I saying? mean, Keynes was sort of, he um, was very much about that cycle as well, right? Yeah. He had identified that there were cycles and that... Uh,
0: and for people who don't know Keynes, this is... Uh,
1: just listen to the other uh, episodes. Yeah. Go back. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was, he was an economist and sort of the, I don't know, grandfather of... Modern monetary theory, I suppose. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyways, he, he, you know, he came up with the idea that government would, uh, you know, through taxation and spending, be able to uh, mitigate these cycles. So when there was a recession, they could spend more money into the system. Yeah. And then when things were well, they would spend less and take more tax revenue, yeah. and everything would even out nicely.
0: And it would be a nice, smooth line up yeah. into utopia. Exactly and we've seen that's like, great That doesn't happen yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the other um, I mean there's a tremendous a- amount of anxiety yeah around like the the next crisis right we've again talked about it last time with peak oil environmental movement all these things that people are always identifying the next crisis and there's tons of anxiety about it always right yeah. um, so with a Christian perspective um, you don't need to have that anxiety, yeah. right? When you have sort of the record of history and you can see how it's been, how it's going to keep on going, technological advantages notwithstanding, um, you know that God's in control. Yeah. That he's got a plan. And he's
0: sovereign over it, right? It's not like these things happen and nobody can control it.
1: Yeah. It's not like once we get to Mars... And establish a colony <laughs> we 're outside of god 's control right yeah, it's yeah. no he he made the universe he made like he is in control of everything yeah. and um we have the cycles of of human history anyways to sort of to show us that how it's been and how he's always been sovereign and how we will continue to do that and you know we can worry and we can not worry but we can be mindful of what's going on and that's i mean that's what we do right that's why yeah. we're doing this podcast as well to <laughs> Um, just explain a little bit yeah to help other people be aware of of what's happening and sort of how we think about things specifically around real estate you still have a job to do here yeah, but you don't have to obsess and to worry and to lose sleep over it that you know um, that things are going to be terrible like we know things are going to be good (laughs) and they're going to be bad well my whole thing is uh,
0: things are going to get worse before they get better
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah exactly and like you understand and you learn that you can't cling to mankind's yeah. prowess, our strength, right? Yeah. You can't rely on what we're doing because that stuff, All you look through history, empires yeah. rise and fall. You talked about cycles. Like, they're often tied to military conquest, right? So you had, like, in more recent history, last 500 years, whatever, you had the Portuguese, right? They were an empire, and they had... Built colonies. Who were that Portuguese? Never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you had these cycles, yeah. right? Which coincided with sort of world's economic cycles as well. You had the Portuguese, and then the Dutch, and then the Spanish, and then the English. Yeah, and then the uh, the America, U.S. and yeah. now maybe China. I don't know. Yeah, but sure. um, you had all these. Yeah. Anyways, you have all these cycles. They come and they go, but the word of God remains constant. The promises of yeah. salvation. Uh, of Jesus are constant. And so when you have that sort of wider view, you're like, okay, I can be aware of these things. I can worry about them a little bit, maybe. Well, yeah, but you the constant s- is the word.
0: Yeah. You stand on a firm foundation when you yeah. look at this stuff, like the seas may be turning all over the place and you know there may be a lot of upheaval everywhere and uncertainty, but yeah, yeah you stand on a firm foundation of the word and then you look at these things and you're, yeah, you're firmly anchored, right? You're you're mixing metaphors now. Yeah. Now I got a foundation. Is it the foundation
1: of the lighthouse Uh, that would tie into the seas (laughs) and the anchor? I think so. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I get your point. Yeah, you have that uh, a solid mooring. Yes. (laughs) um, From which to look at things and uh, and to understand what's important and what's not. (coughs) So as much as we spend like a lot of our time. Talking about real estate and doing real estate and, and macroeconomics yeah. and all this stuff. Like that's it's it's all window dressing really yeah. in the scheme of eternity.
0: But it is important, um, and that's why we're talking about it, but um because the other aspect of our podcast is stewardship, right? Yeah. And uh we have been given finite resources within this world, right? And with its limitations and with its struggles, but uh we also have the call to use them and to steward them well, and that's where this comes into play. Yeah,
1: well, there there is the danger that when you're looking, when you have this sort of big-picture view, you can be a little bit fatalistic or a little bit... Um, like Cynical? C- cynical or like nothing really matters. Right. Um, whatever God's in control and whatever he wills is going to happen, so like, just let it happen, which I don't think is maybe the right view either because he's still... Yeah, in the scheme of... Eternity, what we're doing now, doesn't really, it doesn't have an effect. But it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? God still, because we confess he's sovereign, he put us here in our specific spots. Yeah. And he knows every single person that's lived on the earth and what they've done and the opportunities that he's given them. Like, it's just so mind-boggling to understand that, you know, you think about history and the Roman Empire and, and all these things. But God still knows us. He knows yeah. Like it says every hair on your head. Yeah. He's got that whole cycle, the creation of the universe, but he also knows what Brent is doing. Yeah. And is Brent using his talents wisely? Is yeah. he stewarding his resources wisely? Yeah. So or is he a squanderer? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And
0: hairs on your head could refer to your beard too, right?
1: I hope so, so cuz uh, <laughs> 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 there's not much there. I mean, that's still my head. Yeah, yeah. You know. <clears throat> Um, anyways, I think is that a good uh that's a good framework framework to start for what we're talking about yeah. okay, so what are some of the things we're uh <laughs> well what's the current situation yeah, so you got a few things utter you, chaos you uh, get that on a dairy farm sometimes and nobody milks the cows <laughs> utter <laughs> chaos <laughs> oh that's the second joke of the podcast hey. folks. <clears throat> So
0: stocks are falling like a recession is coming.
1: We should have a bingo card for listeners, right? And every time you know like every time there's a joke, it's a different uh, a different number called out. Yeah, all right. <laughs> okay. It's current situation, Brent.
0: Oil prices are rising like there's no recession in sight. So you have mm-hmm. stocks falling like a recession's coming. And oil prices rising like there's no recession coming.
1: Yeah, which is weird.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, so when you look at um, economic situation and you go, uh, usually this happens and then this happens at the same time. But when those two things don't happen at the same time, then it's kind of confusing. puzzling, confusing, yeah. yeah, and leads you to ask more questions.
1: Well, and that's, we, well we talked about the Phillips, Phillips curve, right? Usually yeah. when there's high unemployment, um, there's low interest rates and vice versa. But now we have... Sorry, high employment, and you have low interest rates. Yeah. Yeah, but now we have high interest rates and high employment. Yeah. And so it's broken, and now everybody's confused. What do we do?
0: It breaks the mold, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, and then interest rates are rising, obviously. If you haven't seen that, well, (laughs) go check your mortgage statement. Uh, Like we have really high inflation, but gold price is falling like inflation is gone. And... It seems kind of uh, backwards to say that. Um, and house prices are rising too, like like the rates are falling. Yep. So the housing market's kind of reacting like, okay, rates are coming down. Uh, house price has been going up. and But commercial real estate is falling. So it's, it's, it's like a lot of stuff here that is going sideways and not really making any sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, we're sort of, we're almost like unknown territory, right? Yeah. Because everything that we thought we knew yeah about our economy and, and everything is is not behaving in the fashion that it should yeah and i mean the common denominator here is crippling levels of debt yeah which the system wasn't really that wasn't in mind put in mind when the sort of system, current system was architected right that yeah the the amount of interest that's being paid on the debt is now like actually affecting um the economy and policies and that's probably why a lot of this stuff that we're talking about is happening um yeah it's it, it's complicated for sure so that's the current situation um and yeah we talked about debt that's uh We've talked about debt a lot on this podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we don't need to, uh, need to get into that, but that's, uh, that's coming. And yeah, we talked about the debt ceiling. Yeah. That's, uh, that debate is happening soon again as well.
0: So, what is that exactly? Because um, it sounds like a, a limitation. Like if you just say it's the debt ceiling, oh, yeah, I would talk about that every year. But is that actually a limitation to anything, or is that just hocus pocus?
1: Well, it's it's a legislative limitation.
0: On the number of currency units that can be available
1: to yeah. the U.S. government. Exactly. And, the you know, originally the idea was, hey, we got got to be responsible guys. Yeah. We're going to set a ceiling for the debt that we're spending and that's it. Right?
0: And you only need no a more. ceiling. But you only need a ceiling because there is no natural, like, limitation on the money supply.
1: There Like, there will be eventually, I think. A natural limitation? Yeah, once interest rates, or sorry, once interest payments consume the majority of tax revenues. Then they can't spend more. Yeah. But they can print more. Yeah, they can print more. But every dollar that's printed comes with interest.
0: I'm just saying it has to have a debt ceiling. They have to have a legislative framework in place to limit it. They don't have to, but they say they They do. do just to kind of give confidence to the system, I think. Yeah. But... But if if you had gold, then you would have uh, a natural, like the natural order of creation, would limit the number of
1: uh, gold reserves available. You would think it would, right? We always talk about the gold standard, like this was (coughs) the the gold standard. (laughs) Yeah, Um, no, but this was like, yeah, the the best thing ever. But we like constant examples of how the gold standard was subverted. Yeah, And even before there was like the official gold standard, when economies ran where commodity had commodity based money, mainly like gold and silver, yeah. how we managed to, to screw that up to debase the currency. Right. Yeah. Um, we've talked about Roman Empire as well. Right. Later stages where they were debasing the currency to the point where the currency, the actual coins that were out there were like had very little value. Yeah. Very little silver in them or gold. So, yeah, we talk about the gold standard, but that's also something that we can manage to screw up pretty easily. Um yeah, but now they have so this the legislative. Ceiling, yep.
0: Now they have this legislative framework that basically says, okay, we will not exceed this amount of debt in the system. Yep. But uh <laughs> but every year they raise it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh Man. yeah, it's kind of like when your kids are being bad, right? And right. you're just like, "Oh, you know what? That is that's it. This you is the last the <laughs> last time. You do that once more, you were going to be in you trouble 100 times." <laughs> yeah. And um do that again, yeah. you're getting a spanking. Exactly. And it never comes. Yeah. So it, it is interesting like a lot of US states <sighs> have similar legislation um, where they have said like we can't run a de- this state cannot run a deficit yeah like it, it is illegal and if you run a deficit you're going to be voted out of office or you're going to be kicked out of office by the existing mechanisms yeah. and possibly prosecuted so there's a lot of states that do not have deficits and uh, don't have a debt and don't have a deficit
0: but the federal government federal government
1: there's no such rule and i yeah. mean a little bit of that is theater because then they get funding from the federal government to meet their their budgets and stuff yeah. and it's like well you're just robbing peter to pay paul but yeah. um yeah the the federal debt ceiling is just it's a joke right political theater happens every year and it's just grandstanding um most people don't really understand it but it's just a way to get
0: <coughs> well if you don't understand it why don't we explain it a bit? <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> I don't really understand it that well either. But um, yeah, it seems it seems like an important thing given that it's happening.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, and I mean, there have been government shutdowns uh, before because they, you know, didn't. They, and that's uh, hit what's an kind impasse. of looming right now. Yeah. Possible. They could and it's not just a government shutdown, but that's the first thing because the government can't pay, can't meet its obligations. Yeah. So they're going to try and pay. Social Security and all these things first, first, but like employees of the government, like you're not getting paid. paid. We're just going to shut down uh, various things, Um, and and that has happened. But that's not out of a sense of fiscal responsibility at all. Yeah, it's just political theater, right? Because what happens when you have you have to pass legislation to increase the debt ceiling? Yeah, right. You have to make a new law that says, okay, in 2023, we're increasing the debt ceiling to X. Yeah, and, um,
0: it's probably yeah. a number you've never heard of before. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, but what happens is, every, as with any, anything in the States and, and here, but especially the States, is everybody has their little pet projects. So you get like these omnibus bills, right? Which is, it's supposed to be about the debt ceiling, but really there's like a million other things in it. And it's like the, the document should be one page long. Like we hereby agree to increase the debt ceiling to you know four trillion or whatever it is, <laughs> but instead it's like hundreds of pages long. And like, why is that? Well, because there's all kinds of spending thrown in there. Yeah. So if you want me to support your bill, you got to build something in my district, or I have this pet project that I want uh, supported. So when you look at it, it's just you know what they call not like, only do they what raise. my good friend Cletus would call pork. <laughs> Barrel (laughs) politics, which he likes because he's a pig farmer. Uh, But um, yeah, not only do they raise
0: the debt ceiling, they also get money for all their things and uh, it's already spent or a lot of. Yeah.
1: Um, So so it's all it's all nonsense (laughs) at the end of the day. Right. They could just say, yeah, we'll increase it or like, no, we'll not increase it. We're going to get our spending in order. Yeah. But that never happens, regardless of well, Democrat or Republican government.
0: What's the impact of this on real estate? Because I think that's what we're trying to drive home for people is this is all going on. And it yeah. goes on every year, the kind of same theo- political theater. And um, and they never lower the debt ceiling. It's not like, all right, this year, we're <laughs> yep. actually going to pass a bill to lower the debt ceiling. and But as a consequence for real estate investors, like, what can they expect? Or like... I guess not. It's not going to be directly like, all right, they passed this bill and now everybody gets a check or everybody gets their value goes up. or.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of... I mean, there's a lot of moving parts, but the basic thesis is the same that as... Currency is debased, yeah. and that would be through introducing more debt. Yeah. Um, the asset prices rise. Yeah. So again, not the value of the asset necessarily, not its utility value, just the price. But the price that's denominated in those U.S. dollars. Yeah. And um, so that's you know, there's a lot of other things like the state of the economy and supply and demand that will also have an effect on house prices. But um, in general. As long as more dollars are being printed, asset prices will rise. Real estate is an asset; it's generally viewed as an asset. Yeah. Um, So the the price of it will probably rise, and that may not be like meteoric changes. Yeah. But at least in keeping with inflation. Yeah. Right. Uh, Which could be three or six percent a year, or whatever it is. Yeah. And um, just as
0: a consequence of them raising the debt ceiling and the fact that they continue to print money.
1: Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that, so that, that's the U S we're talking about the U S, but this is one of those sort of yeah. macro themes that, um, that we look at all the time is like, what's happening in the U S cause they're our biggest trading partner. They're like geographically right next to us. What happens in the U S really matters to Canada, right? Especially with all the trade that we have, the value of the U S dollar versus the Canadian dollar is always a concern, right? What's happening there. Um, we want to keep the Canadian dollar, in general, probably lower than the U.S. dollar, but not too low in relation yeah. to it, right? Yeah. So that um, it's it makes sense for the U.S. to buy stuff from Canada because it's it's cheaper, right? When the U.S. or the Canadian dollar goes above the U.S. dollar in value, then that will affect trade between the two countries, and then so general economic conditions. Um, influence how we spend and, and how our economy uh, works in Canada. So yeah, when you're looking at sort of macro stuff, like the U.S. is important globally, but more so to Canada because yeah. we're, uh, we're so close, like yeah. the little brother or, or whatever, right?
0: Well, when the U.S. raises the debt ceiling and when they um, change their monetary policy or when they um, increase their monetary supply, since they're the global reserve currency of the world right yep. now, so yep. far, <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. Mark's making a new coin. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, so everybody's got to buy into this new coin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, we're working on
1: it. We'll let <laughs> you guys contend know. contend with the U.S. dollar. But if
0: they, if they change something with the U.S. dollar and everybody else in the world is kind of more or less tied to the dollar standard, then um, they're all impacted, right?
1: <clears throat> yeah, yeah. That's and you impact. see... It can have some really big effects. So, offline, we're talking about um, Euro dollar, foreign yeah. currency reserves. So, eurodollar refers to not just dollars in Europe, yeah, but really around the world. Right? Confusing term. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why they who came up with that, but bad job, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, many countries hold U.S. dollars in reserve, and you've seen like because China has been a huge. Because
0: they need them to buy one. oil. primarily but also
1: to buy u.s goods and services right or not services so much but goods but yeah oil so that was okay we should talk about the petrodollar Ooh. (laughs) so this is where you know you got to zoom out a little bit chronologically and look at you know we've talked about the gold standard and how there was a gold standard and now there's not yeah it's
0: really not even zooming out that far chronologically though
1: no, no it's uh it's yeah, we're talking within like the last the previous this within the last hundred years, yeah um, and this is where uh so we're just I don't know if, yeah people- <laughs> pe- well people can't see this, but Brent and I are kind of working through um, a new book and it's called Broken Money by uh, Lynn Alden and uh, who is like I would say my favorite macro uh, analyst um, and yeah, we're we're just we're going through the book, but it, it's excellent. I think we'll do a book review on it. But it works through the history of money, and the different you know you've got commodity-based money and credit-based money, and um, how they've worked, and and then it'll uh, I believe it gets into Bretton Woods, right? The building of the gold yeah. standard. Yeah, um,
0: these are things that maybe, uh, yeah, maybe you've heard of the gold standard, but maybe you necessarily have heard of the Bretton Woods system. Yeah, like that name might not make any sense, but we'll do a whole episode on that. Yeah, we'll do that.
1: But that's basically where, um, where the world or the industrialized countries after the Second World War agreed to use the U.S. because the U.S. was such a force in the global yeah, economy. They
0: had forty percent of all the economic activity, forty yeah. percent of global GDP.
1: Crazy. Yeah. Uh, so they were they were in a strong position at the end of the war, and. Um, Basically, everybody agreed to use the U.S. dollar as the basically um, to back the gold deposits, and that the U.S. dollar would be tradable for a certain amount of gold, like on a one-to-one basis, and that the U.S. would hold everybody's gold. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, everybody send your gold to the U.S. We're strong. We can take care of it, and uh, we're just gonna value it along with the dollar, and everything will be great. And I think we did the math. It took um, almost <laughs> as long to s- implement that system, because Bretton Woods was uh, was a- it 45. Yeah, I think the conference so right
0: at the tail end of the Second World War, they yeah. did this conference, and then it took until yeah from 45 basically to 58 to implement it. To uh, implement it,
1: <laughs> and then it only lasted till 71. Yeah when Nixon uh, basically went off the gold standard and said, yeah, no, that's not going to work, guys, because they were printing more dollars than um, there was gold, and people were starting to realize that, and we were starting them. to redeeming their gold, like getting their gold back. And Nixon's like, oh, we actually don't have that much gold. You know, all these U.S. dollars you have, you can't. Uh- yeah. <laughs> so, Sorry. Yeah, we're, we're changing that. Sorry. And uh, a lot of people view this as sort of the the genesis of our current economic woes, but I think it goes, I don't know. Again, with that sort of cyclical view, it was bound to happen. Yeah. The uh, debasement of whatever system we have. Um, but yeah, we went to a petrodollar system, which basically said that the US will, con- you know, still, we're still big and strong and oil was becoming very important on the global stage, right? As a new, um, well, new, but as a increasing... Um, energy unit. Everybody's using oil, especially for automobiles and, and things like that. So they said, we're going to protect the oil-producing countries. Essentially, in return, they're going to only trade their oil in dollars. Yeah. So if you want to buy oil from Saudi Arabia, you got to do it in U.S. dollars. So energy being like one of the most important commodities um, in the world, if not the most important, that would have tremendous effect on the global economy and the state of the U.S. dollar, yeah. And so, hence petrodollars, and that's how it's how it's been. Right now, we're seeing some cracks in the system where uh, countries are starting to trade in other currencies, like the yuan for uh, oil. Yeah, for oil, rubles. Um, how far that's going to go, I don't know. But we sort of keep an eye on on these events, right? So that's another example of of <laughs> trying to understand our system and like how is real estate going to be valued and if we're really reliant on the u.s how is the u.s petrodollar being affected by world politics yeah you know essentially it's good for us if it remains stable as canadians because we depend on the u.s so much but that may not be the case right is china going to ascend to global supremacy or are they <laughs> gonna crash and have
0: uh, <laughs> these seem like pretty big concepts to talk about, right? When well, you're they just are. talking about buying a house down the road as a real estate investment. Yep. And now you're talking about whether or not China's gonna be the world power and how that will affect <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean a lot of the a lot of these questions lead back to the same answer though, is like just buy real estate. Because <coughs> if everything else it's gonna be the most stable thing. That we can buy more than likely um, that will retain its value. Now, we'll argue, and not in this episode, but that Bitcoin would be probably a, arguably a better store of value than real estate. And that if our system ever changes to one that's not inflationary, then real estate may not be a good investment. Yeah. Right. But we don't have that right now. But that's why we look at our current system. Is this system going to continue? What's going to, you know, like, yeah. what are all the implications of, of all this stuff happening? And I mean, for the record, I'm not analyzing all of these things myself. Like, I'm not looking at the, the price producer index and what's happening with manufacturing globally and all this stuff, right? I'm just, I'm looking at analysts like uh, Lynn Alden, um, that one of my favorite ones to look. But uh,
0: there's a whole bunch of them
1: yeah there's a lot but uh yeah lynn alden ray dalio is another one um he's not strictly a macro analyst but he's a lot of good thoughts that a lot of people will will kind of listen to whatever you think of the guy um and then locally so tom caradza from rockstar real estate nick and tom the brothers um i find he does a really good job of putting a lot of this stuff together and you know taking sources from other macro analysts but also doing his own research especially uh, As to how it affects us in, um, in Southern Ontario. Yeah. So excellent job there. Um, yeah. What else you want to talk about, Brent? (laughs) We talked about, uh, (laughs) the global, uh, we haven't really talked about the global economy that much. Yeah. Well, maybe one
0: topic is, um, the immigration that we talked about last time a little bit, but I guess if you zoom out on a bigger scale, so we talked about Canada and specifically what's happening. Yeah. Um, but I guess the reason is wh- like that we could talk about now is why are people coming to Canada? Right. Um, yep. like Canada might open its doors and people might think, Oh, like we're getting more people, but on a global scale, are people coming to Canada for a reason? Um, or are there other countries that are getting more immigrants than us? Or are we just kind of an anomaly and, you know, everybody wants to come here cause it's, you know, lot, land of opportunity, um, what is that dynamic currently on a global scale? I think that's a good question to talk about.
1: Yeah. So I think it helps to look just at, at the world. Yeah, look globally. Look yeah. at the world. That's a globe. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Follow for more brilliant economic analysis. Um, no, but to go to look at uh, population, on a global scale and what is happening with population. So in the West, this has been a theme for a long time, populations um, just via birth are declining. Yeah. um, Because we're not having enough uh, enough babies. And that was, uh, you read something a few podcasts ago from uh, one of the government websites, right? And they're talking about how we have, this is a problem for us and immigration is the answer. And I'm like... (laughs) You know, guys, we could just have more babies. Like, that would be an answer, right? (laughs) But that's not... um...
0: Well, yeah, we just... What did we do in Canada? We just uh, (laughs) celebrated uh, Safe Abortion Day.
1: Yeah, so we're trying to find more ways to kill more people, whether it's babies or old people or sick people, yeah, or even someone who's depressed. Yeah, and allow
0: people to kill more people.
1: Yeah, Um, we're doing that, but... You know, on one hand, that's the ideological hand. And then the more practical hand is we need more people yeah. in order to keep yeah, this see, economy going. Those two going.
0: don't line up to me. It seems very uh, strange. Like you allow people to kill people, but then you want more people. So you just, you know, where are these people going to come yeah. from? Well, let's immigrate them in from other countries. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And the whole idea that there's too many people on the planet already to begin with. But you kind of see how it's just do people actually believe this? Or yeah. is this just politicians kind of saying things to look popular and to remain in office? Because clearly they don't believe that or they would be trying to reduce our population yeah. and not have immigration. Yeah. And like, let's do our part to reduce the population. Well, that goes here. back
0: to that quote from Mark Miller. The, uh, oh, yeah. A, he's a liberal guy from uh, immig- wait, Minister of Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship. Yeah, the,
1: <laughs> the new minister and maybe short-lived so what did he say
0: oh man so international students are a credit to this country they are the future of this country uh and then he goes on to say they're very lucrative
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah like just put your cards on the table right guys oh. this and we've talked about the, the student situation and how oh this is recently that he said this right yeah this is like probably yesterday or yeah. something but we've talked about this before, like how this is a sham, and yeah. it's it's bad for students, it's bad for Canada. Um, yeah. No well, need to says get into that, the future but future of the country, right? Yeah, it's like they're a commodity, yeah. essentially. Which is, like, what a way to treat people, right? Yeah. They're lucrative. And he just, I think Ben Rabideau <laughs> said on Twitter, like, oops, they said the quiet part out loud. <laughs> so on one well, hand, you've got all these narratives about climate change and population and stuff. Yeah. But on the other hand, they are like, no, let's just get it's, this money, money. It's a press. money machine, right? Yeah, money machine. Yeah, it's rolling.
0: Canada's money printer, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if the, he says they're the future of the country, what does he mean by that? Because does he mean that they're going to come here, they're going to get an education, and they're going to get a good job, and that's going to cause our country to flourish? Eh. Or is that what he's trying to imply, but he's doesn't? Yeah,
1: it's, it's a, I mean, it's a broad statement, and you can make whatever you want from it. But part of it is they're paying a ton of money yeah. in tuition. They're putting a lot of money into the economy just coming here. Yeah. And if they stay or they don't stay, whatever... A lot of them will stay. Because I
0: get from that, he's kind of basically saying we're reliant on them. Yeah. Like if they don't come, the country kind of, the yeah. economics of the country will slow down. And
1: and yeah, we've talked again before about the Century Club and their, um, the, just this idea that our, our current government is beholden to that we need to have a population of 100 million people by 2100. And so that... Kind of guides our immigration targets and all that stuff. And it's just a number pulled out of thin air. Like what like what numbers do you have to back this up? These are just round numbers and it's, um, it's ideologically driven. But part of that, to get to that point, we need these international students. So again, looking on a global level, like what's happening with global populations? Western uh, civilization, <laughs> Western civilization, the Western world is naturally declining so they need immigration or that well if they want to get population growing they need immigration
0: and they need it economically too right if their gdp doesn't grow because they're not having kids and no one's entering the workforce
1: or producing anything yeah that's the theory that's the theory um we can argue about that later okay (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> well because there, then you've got the whole thing of like we just need the GDP to grow which the government has crowed about like hey GDP increased yeah. uh, which it hasn't but um, not in, in uh, re- like real terms like per capita it has decreased so per percent here it's actually going down dramatically and the more immigrants we bring in that's happening the lower it because goes. they're not bringing immediate value to the economy, eventually, maybe they will, but just in strict strict economic terms. Um, but again, yeah, what's happening with global populations? Um, like China, looks like it's peaked, and you know they've got uh, a very old population and not a lot of young people to replace them. So that may change, but there's a demographic trend there. But then you look at like Pakistan, India. India is where we get a ton of international students. Yeah, um, Nigeria. Is, is poised to become the most populous nation in the world in the next 20, 30 years probably, yeah. which that one kind of took me by surprise, like Nigeria, wow. I didn't yeah. know there's that many people there, but massive and growing like crazy. So they're all looking for opportunities. The governments and the climates there, not the not like the heat, but the, uh, the political climate um, isn't always great in a lot of these countries, right? So, Where do you have more freedom or individual freedom, property rights, things like that? Yeah. The US. Canada. The US isn't accepting that many people. Yeah. Right? They take about as many immigrants as we do. And (laughs) And they're eight times the the population. Right? We're trying to catch up to them. But um, so that's a trend that is interesting and will I dunno, will that continue if we get a new government? Are we gonna have massive immigration? No. But it's, it's likely that we're going to depend on immigration for a long time. Yeah. Right? Because even with new immigrants that come in from countries that have higher birth rates, you see a, a dramatic decline immediately in that first generation. Once they get here, yeah. they adapt to sort of, quote-unquote, Western ways and have less babies. Right. They're not having seven, eight kids anymore, right? They move here, maybe there's one, seven, one, eight two. kids, but th- those kids are having one or two kids. Yeah. They very quickly adapt to our... Um, consumeristic culture where you can't afford to have uh, kids yeah. because you can't buy them all like, I don't know, put them all in hockey <laughs> camp or whatever it is, right? And buy them all iPads. Can't keep so. them warm in the winter. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's a good example of like well, it's interesting. looking at population trends. Yeah, What's going to happen in Southern Ontario for population? We think it's going to continue to yeah. grow for quite a long time affecting supply and demand with real estate but you got to go like Way out to a global level to, to look at that.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting how this Mark Miller guy says that that like foreign students, I guess international students are very lucrative. Yeah, like he didn't probably mean to say that out loud, but um, <laughs> you know that's kind of in the back of the head of a lot of investors too, right? Yeah, like that that has driven a lot of change in the last little bit in a lot of peripheral cities that have uh, universities or colleges. Yeah. Where there's just been a significant demand for student rentals, right, and some of the articles we we talk about are that you see where they're renting shared beds or bedrooms or whatever, and for exorbitant uh-huh. prices like that is indirect related to this right having students come in a lot of the times
1: Well, i I'd say it's directly related yeah right you've got some small little college or a, a branch of a university they open up in a in a city and it's not all like it's definitely the major universities that are benefiting but also tons of smaller quote-unquote private institutions yeah. and yeah, this is a rabbit hole we don't need to go down but like who's saying owns we should those? start a small well no who owns of these so someone did some research and they're like wow a lot of these are owned by foreigners like right? the specifically, small education spef- specifically Chinese people. These things that are um, so you'll have this college, quote unquote, owned by a Chinese individual or company that pumps out like that has primarily Chinese students in it. So they're taking people from there, bringing them here, getting extracting all the money, and then you know who cares what happens to them later? And then they're
0: Canada's problem.
1: Yeah, and it's like, is that what, like, is that what we're trying to do here, guys? Yeah, that's like crazy. it's not adding any value to us because that money will go yeah, back but offshore. Isn't
0: history linear, Mark? Where <laughs> we're just getting better and better all the time.
1: Uh, we're fixing our mistakes. Uh, yeah, and again, a lot of unintended consequences. I don't know what right?
0: utopia is going to look like when we get there, but. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just the subversion of the you know, of, of eternity to, uh, something that we can identify with, I guess, or comprehend, right? Yeah. Something that we'll do ourselves here as opposed to something that God will do for us. So
0: do we need to wrap it up there?
1: I think, I think we can. Um, I mean, maybe one thing we should talk about quickly is energy. Uh, just, so people maybe understand the importance of energy and, you know, whether you have that linear view or a cyclical view, uh, energy and, and technology. Right? We've seen leaps and bounds in techno- technological advance um, starting with the industrial revolution, right? We had other things, but the the pace of innovation has increased and that's directly tied to the availability of energy. And we see around the world as well, um, the development of countries is directly tied to their use of energy, the availability of energy. And you can measure the energy use per person, per, per person, per person corresponds to the wealth of a country. Yeah. And not because it's not because they're using more energy, but because there's more energy available, they will use it because they have advanced technology. And, you know, like how much energy, energy do we use? per person compared to somebody in sub-Saharan Africa who lives in a hut with no electricity. They may have a cell phone and be able to charge that once in a while and they'll burn charcoal or uh, dung for uh, for heat and for cooking, but that's it as opposed to us who have a massive energy use, right? Like your fridge, your air conditioner, your furnace, the things that go into your house, um, all that stuff. Massive energy. um, Unless you have a heat pump, then there's no energy. (laughs) (laughs) There's less. There's less. But it's all, it ties to our our lifestyle and our standard of living. So go back to the Industrial Revolution coal started to be mined and used they figured out how to use it on a much more uh, a much more massive scale and then also gas you got these mines you've got natural gas as well so hey let's get use the gas for lighting our cities now we can do things later at night now cities become more um, yeah like more uh, efficient yeah as well um, but yeah use of coal and then coal <sighs> engines and just led to technological developments right so and then where we got oil Right, the rise of oil over coal. We still use coal, but uh, oil became very important um, energy wise, uh, just like the rise of hydrocarbons and then nuclear energy, which kind of got um, sidestepped or, or backtracked a little bit. Right around the 70s, that same thing everybody got scared of nuclear energy. But I mean, really, if you want something that's environmentally friendly and, uh, and like renewable, well, maybe not renewable, but uh, better than oil. That's nuclear yeah. energy. Yeah, and um, a lot of people, a lot of the greens are against it, but that's probably our next, uh, the next big thing we should really concentrate on. But all, all that to say that energy. Is, uh, is an important macro theme as well. So what happens with the price of oil affects a lot of things too. It's not just how much it costs to run your car, right? If you think of where is oil used, oil is used in everything, in like manufacturing as well. How many things yeah. do we have that are made from hydrocarbons, right? From petroleum. Um, lots of stuff. Oh, like half of this. Anything that's made with, of plastic depends on yeah. oil. So... Cool. Um, I just wanted to, uh, to mention energy as sort of a, an important macro theme as well. So, should we wrap it up there? Yeah, that's yeah. good. I, uh, so, I will again just mention the, the book Broken Money by Lynn Alden. Um, there's a number of books that, that we, we've read or we like, but uh, this one specifically, I'm only part of the way into it, but it's, um, it's excellent by Lynn Alden. It's her... Um, you know, she has a spot on analysis in general. So we're pretty excited to get this book and to read through it. So if you're into macro, that would be a good one that I would recommend to read. It's a little bit of a denser read uh, than some other ones. But if you're there,
0: denser but... like Mark and I, <laughs>
1: pick it up. There you go. Okay. Well, hopefully everybody enjoyed that episode. And if you didn't, um, we got other ones you can listen to. <laughs> Leave us a note. <laughs> so until next time steward your wealth wisely
0: thanks for listening to this episode of the two stewards show if you like my voice
1: better click subscribe and if you like my voice better click share if you like both give us a five-star rating to interact with the show feel free to reach out at hello
0: at two stewards.ca. we'll see you in the next episode in the meantime steward your wealth wisely